Also not shy about slagging off Josh McDaniels any. Hello and welcome to part two of our Jeff Ryan Bolt special here on the Un-American Football Show. Let's just get back into the discussion with Jeff, Nate and Alan. We're moving on to some more lighter subjects now. We wanted to chat a little bit about your career. Um, obviously, oh we're absolutely very excited, ecstatic even to have you on the show today. So we've, we've thoroughly enjoyed your analysis on our TV screens for probably over a decade now. I think just about on Sky Sports. It feels like that way anyway. Um, yeah. so we wanted to get your insights kind of on the growth of the game over here in the UK. Um, so what's it been like sitting in the analyst chair? Like uh, you, you chat to Neil Reynolds every Sunday, um, mm-hmm. watching the game just explode into life the way it has in the UK over the last you know ten years, ever since the inter- the international yeah. series started. Well, I think the you know I go back to my first my initial experience you know with NFL Europe, and we we would come to you know Scotland or we'd come to London to play the Monarchs or the Claymores and um, you know, I remember, I remember, <laughs> I remember going into White Hart Lane, which is where the Monarchs played in 95. And uh, I swear to you, I swear to you that you could have counted the player, the fans in the stadium and wouldn't have reached a hundred. I swear that's true. You could have invited and, them over for dinner, I'm sure. Or yeah. Out. I mean, it was really, that's, that's what it was like at that time. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, the NFL in, in terms of NFL Europe had come to London, you know, in 90, I think it was 90, 91. And then it went away. And when it went away, it was kind of a weird time because in the late eighties, they had the Budweiser league in England and there were it flourished across Britain. The game did, but then that sponsor money let ran out. They had no plan for the future and it all dried up and kind of blew away. Then NFL Europe came back and we had been out of the marketplace for four years. And it really, you know, we had to win back the loyalty of the fans, particularly in the UK. And so, you know, it was a very, very tough time. Then I went to work for the league, the National Football League, and was stationed in the London office and worked in international player development. And I remembered, you know, traveling throughout Europe and the UK and just, you know, it was like the only thing I could probably say, it must have been like being a missionary back in the day because we were trying to convert people to football and on a one-on-one basis. And there was a visionary in the office in London, uh, Alistair Kirkwood, who really kind of, truth be told, really mortgaged his career on the concept of bringing not a preseason game, but a regular season game to London. And when he first broached it with the, with the national football league in New York and the New York offices, you could hear the laughter all the way across the ocean. There was just, everybody who said, that'll never work. They don't care about it. They don't, you know, they don't understand it. That was the turning point. I mean, that was the turning point. And people ask me, you know, why I do what I do. And I do it because I feel it's important to help grow a game that gave so much to me. And so now to go back 
and I'm going to say this and, and, you know, you can say all oh, bullshit, but I'm going to say it anyway. And that, cause it's what I truly believe the best NFL game day environment outside of the Super Bowl is the international series in London because it's the only place I've ever been. And I've been to almost every NFL stadium and watched everybody play and all that, but it's the only experience where you see all 32 teams jerseys where it's like a celebration of the game other than the Super Bowl. Now there are more passionate stadiums. Yes. Kansas city, green Bay, yada, yada. But I'm talking about the entire game is it's a really a celebration of the game. And I'm, I got my fingers, my toes and my hands crossed that those games will be able to come to London and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll have two games this fall. Just to follow up on your point there, I think the international series, fantastic thing. I've often compared it to a festival because it feels like a festival of football yeah. as opposed to an actual football game. Um, so no, it's amazing that you, you know, you really like how it's, uh, how it's grown. And I imagine in many ways, it's surprising to see how it's bounced back from where it was uh, to where it's gone as well as sort of the international player pathway as well, which of course is something mm-hmm. that's talked about more and more now than it has been. Um, with the NFL International Series on that topic, um, we've got, as I mentioned, we've got the two games that are planned for this year coming. Uh, and it seems unlikely that the UK will get a full-time team anytime soon. I know there's been rumours for a long time, especially with the Jaguars signing such a long-term deal with Wembley, which has obviously mm-hmm. now ended. But do you ever think that NFL Europe could make a comeback and would be more of a success, even bigger success now than the original series? Yeah, see, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say we're never going to see an international team. I, I think that I think there was a tremendous amount of energy and and I mean positive energy around a London franchise prior to COVID. As a matter of fact, I thought we would have seen a team in London by, you know, by 2022. COVID changed all that, right? And I mean, it's, it changed so many things in the world. Uh, I still think that there will be international franchises. And again, the reason I say that, how I justify that comment is the NFL is a huge international business and they are constantly on the lookout for revenue streams, new ways to get their product out there, new ways for people to invest in the product, all of that. So you see what's going on now in Germany where, you know, the cities in Germany are going to bid for NFL games. You see the fact that NFL teams can basically stake out certain areas or internationally to market their product. So the natural uh, spinoff of all of that, I think will one day be, we'll see international teams in the league. What makes it more difficult in football than it is in other sports is, you know, it's a one once a week game. You know, you only play 17 times. And so travel and all those other things become big, bigger, bigger issues. It's not like you can go on a European swing and in, you know, 12 days play eight games throughout Europe. You can't, the game does, the game's not built that way. You know, it's the players aren't built that way. So, but you know, one thing I do know about those people who sit in those big offices in New York, in the NFL offices, 
they're really smart and they really know what they're doing. And, you know, they can figure out a lot of things that would be like mind blowing to you and I. Uh, oh, just a just a final question about the like the, the chances of an international team. Uh, do mm-hmm. you think do you think it would be a relocation of obviously like Alan said the the, the Jaguars are the, the team that is usually mentioned in this in this conversation? Do you think it would be a relocation or do you think it would be an expansion? Well, my my original thought was it would be a relocation, and you mentioned Jacksonville as one of those teams that was a likely candidate. They had invested a lot of money. Uh, to put a footprint in mm-hmm. London. They, you know, they hired people to be in London year round. They ran summer camps. They had flag football events. They, you know, they really were trying to, you know, mm-hmm. put a fr- put a footprint in London. Um, you know, there's a lot of political stuff that goes into this too, because there are a number of U S cities that are, you know, major cities that would love to have an NFL franchise. Yeah. And, you know, you got, you know, so it, you've got a lot of people you got to satisfy before you can move outside of the United States. But, you know, you think about just in North America, Mexico City, where I'm certain, certain would love to have an NFL franchise. There's, I don't know how many, six million people in that, in that community. Uh, Toronto in Canada certainly sees itself as a world-class city with a mm-hmm. NBA basketball team and a major league baseball team. And certainly they think that, you know, the NFL should look there. There are a number of cities in the United States right now who don't have teams that, you know, in, in, in the NFL that are, you know, like Portland, Oregon, for example, has the Portland Trailblazers and, you know, big city on the, on the West Coast would be a natural rival for Seattle. So I think there's, it's going to be interesting and exciting to see where it all goes. Just quickly, I was going to say, it's been nearly 20 years since we had a new NFL franchise uh, in the Texans. So maybe it is time to start looking at that expansion, uh, keeping an eye on like the NHL, for example. They've had numerous new expansion teams and Seattle are getting a new team. But I do completely get there probably be some teams in some cities in the US that feel maybe a little hard done by by the past. Well, Alan, Alan, yeah, at San Diego. I mean, Alan, it, it right. dovetails it, it dovetails into another issue, which if you are going to expand, you have to be able to fill the, the you know the rosters that you need for those teams. And you know, the NFL has always had basically a free feeder system with college football, right? Now, um, if you expand, you're gonna talk about it. Right, it's hard to find offensive linemen right now. It's hard to find great quarterbacks right now. How are you going to fill those rosters? That's a question that they're, you know, that they're pondering. My thing is, as you look at it, as a football coach, you recognize that there has to be a developmental league because the jump from college football to pro football is so incredible. Right, so uh, we're moving on. We've had our top five offenses. I know, Jeff, I'm conscious of time. You're, you're, you're a busy coach, so um, we'll rattle through our defenses fairly quickly. I know we spent like, a lot of time on the offenses. Um, Nate has uh, sadly had to depart. He's, he's uh, working. He's a busy man himself as well. Um, so I'm going to do my best to represent his top five defenses for 2021. Um, you can tell he's a Colts fan because um, he has the, the Colts in at fifth. He thinks the Colts are going to be the fifth best defense in 2021. He says they are, uh, people are sleeping on them. They are uh, a team that kind of 
you know, the, the, the individual pieces, maybe they don't jump off the, the screen at you, they jump, don't jump off the, the, the field at you, um, apart from DeForest Buckner, of course, he's a game wrecker, but he thinks that they perform better than the sum of their parts, that kind of thing. Um, and Matt Eberflus is really going to get them uh, rolling again this, off se this season. The Browns, he also has in his top five, as well as his offense. He has the defense in the top five, and they've just added, continued to add um, this offseason. Um, Jadavion Clowney comes in, the first-round pick, Greg Newsom comes in, uh, a lock, hopefully a lockdown corner opposite uh, Denzel Ward. Um, so he has them at fourth as well. Tampa Bay Buccaneers the, the, and the Rams, they, they go third and second, just... They both have superstars on their defenses. And then at number one, he has the Washington football team, um, who they're going to they're gonna appear a couple of times on, the, uh, on our lists. And I think we're all very excited to see what Ron Rivera does with the Washington football team defense. With so many first-round picks in that defensive line, I think another year playing together, Chase Young just game-wrecking from the defensive end position or even kind of lined up everywhere. Um, they're going to be exciting to see. Uh, Alan, do you want to just rattle through your top five as well, and then we'll um, hear Jeff's thoughts? Sure, yeah. I wouldn't say I'm excited to watch the Washington football team when they're playing the Cowboys in particular, but uh, <laughs> I do have them ranked very highly. Uh, fifth, I have the Dolphins. Um, I think they had some really good spots last season. I think Tua's probably going to... I hope that Tua's going to take a step forward to have a bit more consistent offence. Obviously, offence play impacts the defence. Obviously, there's a bit of a cloud over Zavian Howard over the last day or so. If they can keep him, I think they can be top five. Fourth, I have the Buccaneers. You know, there's a reason they won the Super Bowl. Uh, they kept a lot of the main pieces they needed to keep, so there's no reason for me why they shouldn't be top five. I've actually got the Broncos in third. I didn't necessarily think they needed to add as much on defense as they did during the draft, but I think they are a very stout defensive unit. And they've also got a very good strength of schedule this week, this season. So I think that's always worth keeping in mind. I have the Washington football team in second. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about them, so I won't say too much about them, but they are a scary unit. And then first I have uh, a repeat of last year's LA Rams at number one. You know, there's numerous places on their defense. They can safely say they have the best player in the league. Um, and, I, I think when you've got that many stars compared to some of these other defenses, they're going to be the difference when it comes down to crunch time. So I have the Rams number one. I think just sifting through that, Jeff, a little bit, um, we can table the Washington for just a, a minute. I want to chat about the Rams first of all. Um, Alan said that they can safely say they have the best defensive player in the league, maybe the best player in the league, full stop. I actually think they have the two best defensive players in the league because also lined up on the corner on the outside is uh, young Jalen Ramsey who's uh, just got paid as well. That's not a bad place to start, really, for a defense when you have the two best defensive players in the league. No, I, I, they are really outstanding. And, um, you know, you mentioned uh, game records, and I don't know if there's a guy on defense that, that you know, is more of a game record than Aaron Donald is. I mean, you, you talk about his ability to get to the passer uh, from a very difficult position, defensive tackle. Now, I thought... They did a great job last year moving him around and creating opportunities for him. And he is a guy that you just do, you cannot, you can't block him one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, he's that dynamic. And he, he, he's a little bit like J.J. Watt was in his prime in that he's not just a pass rusher. He, he can play all three downs extremely well. And so obviously 
that, that's why he is one of the premier players in the league on defense. Jalen Ramsey obviously gives you an opportunity. And I, I, I broke this down uh, last year on Sky on the Telestration machine, how much flexibility he gives a coordinator because like Deion Sanders could back in the day, you can give him one guy and just say, okay, you, for example, if the X, the guy who's into the boundary, you put him in the boundary one-on-one, -on -one, now you can play man in there and play zone to the field. And so you get what we call plus one all over the field. So they've got one more zone player than you've got receivers, makes it harder on the quarterback. Uh, you know, that kind of flexibility really, really helped. And, I, and again, I, I thought they did a great job schematically last year on defense. Uh, and you know, you got a guy up front that you can't, is really tough to block. You got Floyd coming off the other edge. They're very, 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 I think, underrated at linebacker. Uh, and I, as, a, as a unit, they play extremely well together. I like the Rams defense very much. You, you mentioned a couple other teams. I think, first of all, if you think about this, there's a 40 second clock in the National Football League. So teams that run the football, and you just do the simple math, right? If, if you run the ball three times and punt, right, how much time you've taken off of the clock. And so that every defense, I don't care you talk about the Rams, talk about Washington, talk about anybody, any one of these defenses, the 85 Chicago Bears, they always play their best defense when they're standing on the sideline, you know, because the other team can't possess the ball. And so teams like Baltimore, for example, who, you know, it's like they squeeze the life. They're like a boa constrictor. They squeeze the life out of you. And, you know, they run the ball and they chew up the clock and then they get ahead and they force you into one dimension football. And now Wink Martindale, and he just added Rob Ryan to that staff. They will come up with some, you know, and they got a great secondary that can play man to man all over the field and great pass rushers. And they added more pass rushers. And so, you know, they have a real recipe for great defense there. The, you know, you look at some of the other teams, same thing in Buffalo. Why does Buffalo play great defense? They've got some very, very good players. Matt Milano's an outstanding player. I think, you know, they've got good players in the secondary. I think their safeties are probably the best safeties in the league. But because they score points, they're always playing from in front. And that, you know, that's – once you get an offense one-dimensional, you got a chance – you got a much better chance to stop them. So um, Washington will be good, no question about it. But the Cowboys will be so much better on offense, should be so much better on offense. And that's, you know, Washington, I, I mean, my, actually, New York, the Giants will be better on offense when they get Saquon back. And they, you know, their offensive line is continuing to develop and they've you know, gone out and put some weapons around Daniel Jones. So, you know, will they, will Washington's defense be as dominant as it was last year? We'll see. Interesting comment, though, Ross. How many first-round draft choices? As I count them, it's it's five or six. On the, at least I think on, if you rattle through them, you got Young, you got Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne. I think was first or second round. Montez Sweat, I think was first or second. Like it's a ridiculous amount of time. They almost went the 49ers route of just loading up on that line um, and just saying you're not going to beat us up front. Uh, we're going to play tough football, and um, if we get the lead, we're going to get after you with our, our defensive line. You know, that's, it's interesting. You, you, this is really a, a fun conversation to have because, you know, there are a couple of philosophies about how you build a defense, right? And, you know, Al Davis, one of the greatest football minds ever, 
always believed that you build it from back to front corners to pass rushers, right? His philosophy was you can always bring pressure if you can play man to man. Then there are other people like the, like the Skins, for example, who or the football club, for example, who have done it the other way. They said, we're going to have great pass rushers, great D linemen, and we'll play zone. And, you know, if we can get home with four, you know, we can, you know, we can have an advantage number. Football's about numbers. And if you, if you're playing zone, you have more, you have an advantage numerically in the back end. What impressed me about Washington last year, Ross, was that they got great play out of their secondary. And there were some guys that, you know, like just came out of nowhere. I mean, and then Ronald Darby had like a revelation season and, you know, so it, it was really interesting to see how that went. Tampa doesn't get any publicity or talk on defense, but their linebacking core, Indianapolis and Tampa, you put those line, those linebackers, you know, that, that's two of the best linebacking cores in football. It's the Steelers. I mean, shit. And I, you know, the, I, lo I know they lost Bud Dupree, but Highsmith is a guy that they had drafted to, you know, to eventually take one of those spots. You know, they go out and sign, you know, a big time player again this offseason. They got, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick's been a revelation in the secondary. If their linebackers get healthy, I think they can be a dominant defense too. So, you know, you look at it, San Francisco, what are they going to be? Rams, what are they going to be? You know, there's, there are teams out there that can really play great defense, but most of the teams that are going to play great defense have teams that run the football or have balance in their offense. You know, it's the teams like, uh, you know, like Green Bay. They, they, how much money have they spent? How many, how much draft collateral have they spent on defense? And they can't quite seem to get over the hump. Yeah. That's uh last two years now the defense has just been run over a little bit in green bay and nfc championship games it's uh it's really interesting they spend so much money on their corners and their edge rushers and they don't quite get it right up the middle at the moment but uh yeah it's, it's interesting to see I'll, I'll rattle through my top five you mentioned the steelers there actually have been fifth i don't think i think anything that's going to go wrong with the steelers is not going to be because of the defensive side of the ball they just have too many playmakers tj watt is a stud uh highsmith you mentioned uh, they also brought in melvin ingram as well they're going to replace the sack production production between them, if not as one person um, of Bud Dupree, I think. New England Patriots, I think um, they're going to come back. Mm. I think they're going to come back. They actually finished seventh in total defense last year, and that was without getting anything from the offense. Um, like the offense was in the 20s. Cam Newton was nothing. I think they're going to be better on the offense, and that's going to lead to even better defense. They get Dante Hightower back. Um, they, Bill Belichick, he got the shopping cart out in, in the, this offseason. And he went wild. He was just picking up bits and pieces from everywhere. Um, so I have the Patriots in at fourth, and then I'll rattle through. I've got the Rams third, Bucks second, Washington first. My favorite stat about Washington, and this is why I have them, one of the reasons I have them top. They were the best team in, um, uh, on the defensive side of the ball uh, in the second half of games. They actually conceded the, the least amount of points on an average game basis. It shows that Ron Rivera is a quality coach like he, he, he diagnoses the game and his de defensive quarter diagnoses the game in the first half they go they know they, they see what's going on what's going wrong and then they just unleash that defensive line and their defense in the second half they make their required adjustments um i think that's what that stat um proves uh, they average only conceding six points a half uh, in the second half of game last season um sift through that as you as you see fit jeff i think the patriots i think were as a team we've not talked about yet so do you think they're going to be back up there again this year 
Yeah, and I, I mean, that was really a mistake by me to not, I mean, I, I don't, I didn't have them in my brain. Like, boom, let's talk about the page. But first of all, you got to start with Belichick, who's probably will go down in history as one of the, along with Buddy Ryan and you know, some of, some great ones, one of the best defensive minds in the history of the game. That's how he cut his teeth as, a, as an assistant coach and got an opportunity to become a head coach. Their defensive personality has not changed. You think about all the COVID opt-outs they had on defense last year. And I know Chung has retired, but you look at that personnel that's coming in there and his ability to take players and maximize what they do well and minimize or mitigate what their liabilities are. I think that's phenomenal. And, you know, as you mentioned, he went out and he, you know, <laughs> he went out and got the credit card and he used it. And, uh, you know, they, they've got, they brought in some really, really talented players and brought back some guys to, in, to New England that know the Patriot way, you know, and I think that is, that is really, really, really uh, an interesting phenomenon. Sometimes when you lose a player, um, you know, there's animosity because he signs with somewhere else. Well, you, you know, Belichick's about one thing, and that's winning. And, you know, they, like you see, you see, they've taken some guys that maybe other teams, Randy Moss, for example, you know, that, that other teams say, nah, stay away from that guy. And then somehow they fit them into that culture in New England, and they come back and, and they're better players. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how he, how he, uh, puts that defense together in training camp, they'll always be extremely sound. They won't beat themselves. They won't take penalties. They won't, you know, the things that, as he says all the time, before you can win, you got to stop from losing. And that's, you know, that's his mantra. Interesting comment about the Redskins. I did not know that six point, but that's a phenomenal, phenomenal statistic. You know, you talk about complementary football, right? Where the offense and the defense and the special teams all work together as a unit, right? And I think that's what Ron has brought to Washington. You know, Washington really, for years and years and years, really never had an identity. I mean, what were they? They were, you know, a cast of free agents. They were, you know, this. They were that. You know, and now there's a very, very clear, you know, image or very, very, very clear identity with the Redskins. They're, you know, physical, run the football first, tough, play zone defense, rush four people, don't miss, make mistake. They're very similar to what his good Carolina teams were. And, uh, you know, with them, it's a, you know, to me, is how much does Fitz have left in the tank? And again, I'm a big Fitz fan, you know, and I think he's going to give them a lift. Um, but, you know, how, how much of a lift remains to be seen. Everyone loves Fitz. You have to love him. I, I tell you, the, the times I've spent around him, and we did a we did a tour with him uh, through the UK, and I, I'm just telling you that he, the guy is absolutely hilarious, and he he is almost egoless. And I'll tell you a little story at the Super Bowl. I walk into this this uh, this, this little cantina in uh, in Miami. And uh, mojito is a, a drink that they drink in, in it's a Cuban drink. And uh, so I, I, I 
walk in there and it was one of those days where we had a camera guy and we're just you know walking around miami shooting shooting street scenes in miami you know all the stuff around super bowl and i looked down the bar and there's fitz sitting in the bar and so, <laughs> and so i walked behind the bar and the the the, the bartender kind of looks at me like this and i you know we got the camera there and and uh so I say to the bartender, I said, we're, you know, we're from Sky Sports NFL in, in London, England, and we're here to find out the great, we heard you're the greatest mojito maker in all of South Florida, right? And so let, I said, will you make a mojito for us, right? And, and Fitz is watching this, and I can see him watching out of his corner, and he's got that devilish look in his eye. And uh, so the guy mixes the mojito and all that stuff. And then I, and then I turned and I said, and sitting at the bar is NFL quarterback, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Fitz, would you, and he was like, like he had rehearsed it, man. He took over and it was a hilarious scene. And th that kind of, you know, spontaneity, that kind of fun attitude that he has, I think is why his teammates at every stop he's been, and he's been at a lot of stops, are so drawn to him. They root for him so much. He's so good in the locker room. And I think, you know, after what they've experienced, <clears throat> with the Redskins, with Haskins, this will be, you know, he'll be a revelation in that locker room for the, for the Redskins. Yeah, absolutely. Getting a more veteran presence at the quarterback position, I think is exactly what Juan Rivera was after this, this off season, uh, after the, the debacle it was Haskins. Um, Alan, any, any closing thoughts on the defenses there? We've, we've rattled through our top fives. Um, uh, I was going to pick up on what Jeff said actually about uh, the 49ers. I think, They've really gone out of a lot of people's minds since they made the Super Bowl, lost in the Super Bowl. So many injuries last season. For me, they would be a team that I'd consider a bit of a dark horse going into the season. Okay, there's a bit of a cloud over. Will it be Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback? Will it be Trey Lance? I think it'll probably be both at some point during the season. And there'll probably be that handover. But I, I, they're definitely a team that, given they run the ball quite so much, as, as, as you mentioned, Coach, I wouldn't be surprised to see them in the top five at all. No, I, I wouldn't either. And I think, you know, obviously they've had a co you know, coordinator change. and But I don't think they've had a philosophy change. And that's really important. I think that when you look at the really good organizations, and I would include San Francisco as one of those, there's a kind of uh, lockstep in terms of mission and approach and, you know, between it starts with the owner, then it goes to the general manager, to the head coach, through the assistant coaches into the team. And I think you you look at that organization, and I think that's one of the things that, the, that is a plus for the 49ers. They, they, they have a vision of what they want to be and how they want to get there, and they really work hard inside that. I think, you know, they're going to have to replace Richard Sherman, you know, but let's be honest, Richard Sherman was at the end of his career. It's, it, you know, it, it happens for everybody and to everybody. I mean, father time is undefeated. And so, you know, I, I think that they will, that'll be a breath of fresh air, frankly. And, you know, every once in a while, it's a change of coordinators isn't a bad thing, right? And, you know, they've got a guy in there that's a, that's a San Francisco guy through and through and, and understands what Shanahan wants and how they do things, and how, you know, kind of like the, Niner way, and I think it's going to be an interesting thing to watch. You just got to stay healthy, man. It's the injury thing that has killed them so much the last couple of years. I think it is. It, like uh, Alan actually said, it's easy to forget how good they were just two seasons ago. I think 
you when you, when we're doing this, you look at where they ranked last year, and it's it's difficult to remember what they were doing the season before. You have to look back at their top two offense. It must have been a top ten defense as well. They're a really good all round unit. Um, they're definitely a dark horse to be back in that top five, but tough division as we mentioned. Um, we're going to wrap up in a minute, Jeff. But um, you mentioned your you talked about your Ryan Fitzpatrick story. You you happened to be in a bar. You were drinking a mojito that night. What is uh, is mojito your your poison, or do you, what's, <laughs> what, what do you go for? It, it, it's not my go-to, except maybe when I'm in South Florida. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, you know, it's, it's, it, it depends on where I'm at. You know, if it's in France, it's Sancerre. If it's in London, it's a, it's a pint. If it's in Miami, it's, uh, it's a mojito. Uh, you know, so I guess it's wherever the geographical uh, location is, that's my drink. I think when you, if you ever get back over to Scotland, will you, did you ever pick up? Oh, easy now, easy now, easy <laughs> now. Hey, hey, hey. You know, um, it's, it is funny. Um, this, when you go up to Scotland, it is really a phenomenal experience. And, you know, I remember when we would go up there and play the Claymores and, you know, your bus would pull into to Murrayfield and you come down this tunnel, the bus goes in a tunnel into the stadium. And, you know, we got all these kids from America and they have no idea. I mean, they, they, they were like, I, one, one of my players came to me and goes, coach, I thought you said they speak English here. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you'd be on the bus and the bus would pull in and the doors of the bus would open and they would, and it'd be pitch black in that tunnel, right? And they would have a guy right next to your locker room door with bagpipes. And he would start playing the bagpipes as your kids, as the door opens for the bus, right? And, you know, that's an eerie sound, especially when you're in a tunnel and it's reverberating off the tunnel and it's dark. And I mean, some of our kids weren't going to get off the bus because they didn't know what the hell that thing was. But they would, that guy would, that piper would sit there and play until you went out to warm up, you came back in, and then you went out for the game. He played nonstop that whole time. And, you know, it's such a unique place and such proud people, and it's really a blast when you go up there. But I have found out that you better go a little light on that whiskey up there. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah. We've all found that out at some point. Yeah, yeah. Any any trip to Scotland, it, it's it's going to be difficult to remember the the evenings. I think uh, I think a lot, a lot of uh, well, we, you know we would play. We, we're in Glasgow, and you know Suckyall Street runs right down. In, yep, in Glasgow. Yep. I think I think the University of Glasgow is on on the you know on one side of it, and I would always go for a walk the morning before a game. You know, just get out and, and get a little exercise and, and uh, see the local side. So I'd walk down Suckyall, and I swear to God, it looked like a war zone. <laughs> If you played on Sunday morning or Saturday, you know, there'd be, there'd be bodies in the street. There'd be, I mean, like puke and blood. And I mean, I <laughs> said, what is that's this? A, that's, that's, they, they just said another Glaswegian Saturday night. Yeah. No, uh, if anything, that's a Tuesday, mate. Like it's, it's, <laughs> that's, that's, it's a lot, it's a lot worse at the weekends. I can I guarantee it, especially if we're playing England or something. Uh, Alan and Nate and uh, our, our other uh, podcast member, uh, Dean, they're they're all based in England. They're from England, so I'm the lone Scot, so I have to represent. Um, so I'm happy that you be, you can name Socky Hall Street by name, uh, <laughs> yep. um, which, is, which is a bit of a thrill for me personally. Uh, Alan, when was your last trip to Scotland? Uh, I've been infrequent. I think it was for work. I was there for a day, 
So um, I'm for, I, I need to spend more time in Scotland yeah, and sample well. for some more whiskies. But I, I can do that from home as well. That's fair. Or anywhere in the world. We'll get, nah, nothing hits like Scotland whiskey. The Scotland whiskey hits different, I think, um, compared to other places. Um, brilliant, Jeff. Thank you very much for the stories. Thank you very much for your uh, insightful football knowledge, as always. Um, thank you guys for your, Alan and uh, Nate, obviously, had to leave early for their predictions. And Jeff, I don't think you ripped them apart too much. I think you were. No, you, were, you know what? I, I tell Nate, too kind. He, he can wear his hat on backwards, but he can't hide his Colts fandom. Because when he started talking about the Colts, I saw him rubbing his beard, and I said, "Okay, this, this is our Colts." <laughs> yeah, it happens. Uh, he, he's not shy about it, is he, Alan? He's uh, he's <laughs> um, he's uh, also not shy about slagging off Josh McDaniels any uh, <laughs> on every episode at this point. Okay, guys, um, thank you again to my co-hosts. Thank you to um, Coach Jeff. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, uh, we've really enjoyed You're literally allowed back anytime you want. Um, Appreciate that. Brilliant. So thank you very much for listening. You can catch us on Tough Show Official on Twitter. Um, subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we have some more special episodes lined up uh, uh, before the season hits, and then we're going to be rolling throughout the season up until February, basically, as, as the NFL is these days. It's a 24-7 business. Um, so thanks once again, and we'll see you next time. Guys, you keep go doing what you're doing. You're doing a fantastic job, and I love it when you know young cats are out there promoting the game and talking talking ball. So, you know, we have to get you on coffee with Coach one of these times. Yeah, that that'd be brilliant. I'll um, love to. There won't be any whiskey in my coffee. I'll <laughs> <laughs> have a good one. Yay!